0: The 294th edition of the Four Corners Podcast starts right now.
1: This is the Four Corners Podcast. I'm the luckiest guy in the world, I've said that, to be in Chapel Hill, to be at the University of North Carolina. We win 54-53, North Carolina did it, North Carolina wins the championship. With 20 seconds left to play, goes back to Michael Jordan, jumper from out on the left. The Star Heels are going to win the national championship. Weber, front court, Carolina with foul. He takes the timeout. Technical They're out foul. of timeout. Technical foul. Technical foul! Technical foul on Michigan. They're out of timeout. Frontcourt Williams on the drive. Gets it back out to him. Long outside shot. Short rebounded May. It's over. Carolina has won the national championship. 89-72. And how about them Tar Heels? They are the national champion.
0: I've been the luckiest coach in the world.
1: Pump fake for three. Too strong on the shot. That's it. The Tar Heels are the national gaggum champion. Carolina has been tested and tried and been proven successful through all the years. And the way that we will play will be the Carolina way.
0: My love for North Carolina. I mean, I love this school. I love these fans, and I love everything about it. And I would, I would die for this school. I really would.
1: Here are your hosts, Josh Marlowe and Anthony Pagnotta.
0: Hello, and welcome to another edition of the Four Corners Podcast. We are powered by Carolina Electrical Services. Josh and Anthony, we're back with you guys once again today. Going to take a look back at Carolina's loss to Kentucky over the weekend in the CBS Sports Classic um, in, a, in a in a game that Carolina more had a chance to win but played bad enough to, to get blown out, uh, you know, in a way that they didn't get blown out on Saturday. So we're going to take – you know our our normal deep dive into that look at the box score you'll you'll hear from Hubert Davis stat of the game takeaways all that uh, and much more but um as you're very well aware by now of course we did an addition on this earlier in the day um Carolina Great Eric Montrose he passed away on Sunday afternoon and I just wanted to bring that back cuz we we've heard we got a statement from coach Davis um and Jones Angel, two guys that uh, I wanted to bring to, uh, to to the show here, um, as kind of our last real chance to really talk about it before we 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 get to what we're here to do today. Um, the statement from from Coach Davis was quote, "I am devastated. Eric was my friend. He was my teammate. Eric loved being a husband. He loved being a dad. He loved being a Tar Heel, and he loved Carolina basketball." I miss him. And then the one from Jones Angel, um, Jones's tweet is, quote, I'm absolutely devastated. I'm so sad for Eric's family, especially Laura, Andrew, and Sarah. Selfishly, I'm sad for myself for losing a friend. I'm sad for UNC for losing an incredible Tar Heel. I'm sad for all of us losing the type of person we should all strive to be. And I think um, – if there's one thing that I think you can take away from everyone that's talked after you know this, this news came down this morning, and I'm I'm gonna try to do so with a lot less emotions than earlier, is there's no denying he there's a there's a place for him in Carolina basketball lore. Um, he maybe has the best image of the rivalry with Duke. He won a national championship that gave Coach Smith his, his second NCAA tournament title. There's no denying that Eric Montross was and is a great basketball player and a big part of Carolina basketball. But he's a ten times better person. Um, You know, the, the world, whether it's our world, the Carolina basketball world, the Carolina family, or just the world in general, benefited from him being in it. And when you see the amount of people, whether it's from the Carolina folks, You've seen the NBA community reach out, others in college basketball reach out and make it known that this like in, in, in the college basketball community, this is a giant loss. Mm-hmm. And that, that doesn't happen if you're just some ordinary guy. Um this this guy this guy meant a lot specifically to us, but he meant a lot to a lot of different people because of the lives that he changed and the lives that he impacted. You know, Michael Norwood, a guy that we bring frequently on the show, great tweet from him. Like you're seeing, you know, and this is where the Carolina family is coming in. You're seeing guys that came to Carolina 15, 20, 25 years after them, you know, speaking because fun- they they knew him as a broadcaster. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, as I said, when we, we did our tribute to him earlier, it's just a really it's a really sad day. Um, and this will be a day that in the Carolina basketball family, kind of like whenever we get to the Coach Smith Day, the Stuart Scott Day, the Bill Guthridge Day, this is one that uh, will always be a little bit somber moving forward. There's no doubt about it. This this is
1: one that has to be up there with those because, again, you said, I mean, he he impacted so many different areas in and around Carolina basketball and in the community of Chapel Hill. Um, you know, I think that's the other thing that needs to be talked about when it when it comes to him is all the different charitable things that he did. Um, I mentioned earlier when we were talking about it, you know, just how much he did for the UNC Children's
0: Hospital. One point eight million dollars raised. I mean, just one
1: point eight, just an unbelievable effort year over year to try to get people to donate to that hospital to help kids that were dealing with the same thing that he eventually was dealing with. Um, and I think, you know, that's, that's the thing that's amazing is that not only will his, his passing and his short battle with cancer um, bring awareness to it, but what he did even before then brought so much more awareness to it than even what we've seen here recently. Um, you know, and you, you talk about the impact that he had, you know, as a player, I mean, really, one of the all-time great big men that Carolina has had, probably not talked about enough. I think part of it is because he became a broadcaster at Carolina, and so a lot of us, especially in this generation, remember him as the broadcaster. But you're talking about a guy that was a two-time consensus All-American, was a big part of the reason Carolina was able to beat the Fab Five a group that is so revered throughout college basketball, despite not winning a title because of that team that was on the other side. Um, you mentioned the the bloody Montross moment. Um, that's the one that I think most people will probably remember him for. And the thing that I love so much about that moment is that now it's going to mean even more when they show that highlight each year during the rivalry with Duke. That one will hit a little bit different. Um it's one that'll be somber probably for a few years, but it'll make you smile as well and and for years to come moving forward. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it's a tough day and and you said it you, you said it earlier. it's it's really been a tough decade for Carolina basketball with some of these losses from you know, the all-time greats and big names like Dean and Bill Guthridge, Montross, um you know, Stuart Scott. And what he brought to Carolina, even though he wasn't a Carolina basketball player, the connection to the university um, as, as an alumni and him, you know, passing in the way that he did. And even when you go to guys that, you know, may not have been on the same level on the court as Eric Montross, but Adamola Okalaja, 46 years of age passing away. So you've got so many different guys here in recent memory um, that, that. I mean, I've meant so much to this program. It's just, it's it's heartbreaking. And this one, I think, hurts even, I'm not going to say even more than any of those other ones, but I think it's even more shocking, to be honest with you, because we knew he was sick. The fact that he has, that he passed away nine months after being diagnosed at 52 years of age is just, I, I mean, I, I... I really thought to myself we would hear that voice one more time at least. I really did. And I cannot believe that we are not going to hear that and that there will be a new voice permanently alongside of Jones Angel moving forward.
0: Do do want to reiterate a message from the, the previous podcast. Um do encourage you guys, uh, no matter what the – the monetary value is to donate to the, the 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 Jimmy V Foundation. You won't regret it. Every bit of that that money goes to cancer research. Um, and something that I'm going to add in my future is donating to the Children's Hospital as well, um, because 1.8 is a great number, but it's 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 not the number that we need to to make sure that we're doing the best we can to to to, to prevent people losing their lives to the disease. That is cancer. Now we're going to do the awkward thing that we do in, in in broadcasting, which is awkwardly transition to Carolina's loss over the weekend to Kentucky. And, um, you know, after the UConn game, I think our audience came here wanting to hear vitriol. And they wanted to hear panic. Yes. They wanted to hear screaming. And... I thought at the ten minute mark of the first half that was going to be this podcast. I thought you, you may gonna- or you may have said
1: that multiple times at this at that point this would be a that uh, this would be what the people wanted as yeah. you said.
0: Um, and, and I look, I, I it means a lot to me that people come to us to listen to that kind of assessment to you know hear the quote unquote the truth if you will on 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 the matter. Um, I'm here to tell you if you're wanting that from me today, you're going to get it, but probably not in the way that you think you're going to get it because it's going to be turned around back on you and not a reflection on what I saw Ooh. on the basketball court on Uh-oh. Saturday afternoon. Um, Carolina fell 87-83 to UConn. Um, they're now 1-4 against Kentucky in the event, more of a reason just to make that thing go away. Um, Coach Calipari um, is now 6-1. and one all-time against top 10 UNC teams. The lone loss was in the 2017 NCAA tournament when Carolina made the Final Four and won the national championship. R.J. Davis was simply sensational once again, scoring 27 points. It wasn't enough. Cormac Ryan added 20 um, in his best game as a Tar Heel, but when you, 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 you look at the final score after the final horn, Carolina came up short in a game that I still think, despite defeat, you should feel encouraged and optimistic about where this team is going while also realizing that their potential and their flaws have been uh, acutely um, brought to the forefront from them in their last two defeats.
1: Yeah, I, I just, I don't know, I can't get on the level of some of these people of it's time to panic. Like I, I just I cannot watch this team and say to myself, this is a team that looks like last year's team. Now, is this probably the closest that they have looked to last year's team? Probably when you look at the turnover issues and the inability to get clutch rebounds, because that was something that we talked about a lot last year and even in the regular season of twenty twenty-one-22. Um, but I still don't feel like this team is in that position, first of all, you've got a guy in R.J. Davis who might be playing – I mean, he might be the best player in college basketball right now. This dude is on fire. It is, what, 26 or more in now six straight games?
0: I believe it's, yeah.
1: I mean, that's just insane. Like, you do not see that in college basketball these days. You don't. It's either – I mean, him, Zach Eadie's probably the only other guy that's doing that. So – I mean, you've you've got him. You feel pretty good about Harrison Ingram. He didn't play his best game the other day. But still, he continues to show you how good of a player he is. And this team, I mean, they're still scoring with just about anybody in the country. That Kentucky team that you saw on the other side is a really good squad. I know they're young. That's probably the thing that concerned me the most is that Carolina, their, their veteran presence didn't show up late over a young team in Kentucky. But other than that, like you are talking about a team in Kentucky that probably has either the first or second most raw talent in the entire country. And Carolina ran into a team that was that, – that hit just about every clutch shot that they needed – I thought defensively Carolina struggled at times, but I thought there were there, there were definitely some shots, especially down the stretch, that Kentucky was able to just make despite how well Carolina was defending them. So I I, I I can't get on the level of these people that are panicking. I get it. This team has three losses already. Normally we would be saying, what is wrong with Carolina? But again, I go back to what I have said. In a few, really after both losses prior to this for Carolina, I don't, I can't get to the point of being angry or concerned about this team just yet. Probably because I saw the teams that we've watched since 2018, 2019, since that season. These, I mean, this is still the most fun I am having watching this Carolina basketball team since then, and yes, they're not a complete product, but I'll tell you what, you look at the games that they've lost, talked about Villanova in the battle for Atlantis, that's just that, that, that that's their tournament. They may not be a great team, but when they go there for some reason, they are great. Um, UConn, that might be the te- the best team in the entire country at this point. They're certainly in that conversation, and Kentucky is a really good young team that is starting to sort of, meshed together because they didn't have Bradshaw early in the season. They just got him out there, and now it seems like they're a unit that's sort of meshing well together and could be one of the better teams in the country. I'm not panicking yet.
0: Yeah, I mean, look, I I live for these games. I live for those environments. That was as good a college basketball game you're going to find in December. Outside of the other game in Indianapolis that day where two of the best also went head-to-head. But you're talking about two uh, historic programs, two two programs that, you know, do things very similarly. They do things very differently, and the game delivered. And, you know, I, I, I thought when Carolina got the lead at 72 71, not gonna give it back up because they had kept fighting and climbing back into the game. Wasn't the case. You give up an immediate 6 0 run. But you're still there with a chance to tie the game with nine seconds to go. And, um, you know, there's a reason that Elliott Cadeau was on the bench from the 9.06-minute mark on because, and we'll talk about this as we move through the podcast, Carolina has a lineup issue that they've got to figure out a way to correct. But I, he was a freshman that made a freshman mistake. And, look, it was a terrible way to lose. Um. For as great of a game as it was, you would have rather seen Cormac Ryan or R.J. Davis get a look at a three, and if it doesn't fall, you lose that way. Mm-hmm. But, you know, as someone that believes that playing freshman basketball as a point guard at Carolina is difficult, that was a growing pain, and that's, that was a learning lesson for Elliot Cadeau, something that I think if you put him in the same situation in February and for March— he doesn't make that mistake. I got to be honest, if you put him back out there and they play the game again today, you think he's making that mistake? And I think that's something that's getting lost here. I don't I'm not going to sit here and say I like being 7 and 3. I'd much rather be 10 and 0. But we we put together a schedule every year to get us ready for the ACC tournament and to get us ready for the NCAA tournament. And all of a sudden, we've just come to the idea that we're supposed to win these games. No. Carolina's going to lose games in November and December based off the way that they run their rotation in those months and the schedule that they're playing. This isn't a video game. You're not running through this gauntlet unscathed. If Carolina comes out on victorious against Oklahoma on Wednesday night, they get to 7-3, and three and they'll have two wins over the top 12 in the country I think in in Tennessee. Or eight,
1: 8 and 3, right? Or 8 and 3. Yeah.
0: Like uh how can you be upset with that? Oh, look, if they win the game
1: on Wednesday here, I, I mean, if if anybody is complaining, pick a different team. So that would be we would all have said before the season we will take
0: that in RP. Um and, and look, we're we're going to get to the game here because there's there's a lot of venting I've I've got to do, but y- y- you know, Look, I'm not I'm not not saying I'm happy that I were seven and three. I'm encouraged by what I've seen when this team has faced adversity. This team hasn't folded. This team hasn't quit. Um, a lot of people want to say it's an effort issue. It's not an effort issue. A lot of it is not really a talent discrepancy, it is a roster issue. And we will talk about that um as as the show moves along. Take a look at the box score here really quickly. And this is where you can get frustrated because in a lot of areas, this was a Carolina box score that you maybe would have thought you would have won with. Um, They outshot Kentucky 47% to 42%. Um, Carolina was just 8 of 24 from three, but they held Kentucky to 8 of 23, 35%. They were the fourth best team in the country at shooting the three ball entering the game at over 40%. Um, Carolina 21 of 27 from the foul line. Seventy-eight percent. Kentucky was nineteen of twenty-six, so you out you outshot them at the foul line. But the next two categories are where it goes sideways: seventeen turnovers, nineteen points for for Kentucky, fourteen turnovers. So you did that part; you forced them into mistakes, just didn't capitalize on them to the tune of thirteen uh, points off of turnovers. And here's where the game was ultimately won and lost: rebounding. Carolina got out rebounded forty-two to thirty-two. Um, despite winning the defensive rebounding battle twenty six twenty four, Carolina was pummeled on the offensive glass eighteen to six. Oh my god! Um, simply put, and, and 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 I laughed at this when I saw this on the uh, on the timeline on the Twitters and the Facebook on Saturday afternoon. Those same people that five years ago were saying we need to ditch the two big system and go back to play or start playing four around one and small ball is the way to play, well, we're learning the hard way. This is what you get when you play small. Um, yep. And, I, and I'm just going to go ahead and we'll, and, and uh, we'll, I'll state it right here and probably reiterate this here in a moment. I cannot do 30 more games of that. This is an area no. that Hubert Davis has emphasized. I, I watched and listened to everything this man says. I watched his... 19-minute press conference the other day before the game. And he brought up rebounding three times and a question that wasn't asked about rebounding. So it's being emphasized. It's being talked about. It's being communicated. It's got to be executed. Yep. And execution isn't the coach's fault. That is a player issue. And this is something that Carolina has to internally look themselves in the mirror and say, I've got to do better. Your leading rebounder was R.J. Davis with seven rebounds. And look, (laughs) I love a guard that can rebound the ball. That is something that makes me feel some type of way. But Armando Baycott, in that game, in that setting, can't have six boards. And that's got to be the message. That's got to be the challenge is – because we've, we've stressed it. Once the rebounding really became an issue, really in the battle for Atlantis and since then, it's got to be a UNC rebounding game. Not just an Armando Baycott rebounding game. And that got brought to the forefront in this one. 15 second chance points for Kentucky, just six for Carolina. The bench. Here we go. 36 bench points for the Wildcats, just 14 for Carolina. Points in the paint, 34-32 in favor of Kentucky, but you take that fast break points. Carolina won that, 15 to 10. Um, Carolina 12 assists on 27 made baskets. Kentucky 15 assists on their 30 made baskets. Let's now move to the quote of the game, where Hubert Davis talked about this game was going to be lost in won or lost in the trenches, and unfortunately, Carolina lost that battle. Saturday was a grown man's game. Um, great programs, great coaches, great talent. Um, it was going to be physical. It was going to be I think the game played out the way from like a style standpoint. Two teams that love to score it, two teams that want to push it. um a really fun game to be involved. but you know you've got to do you've got to do the dirty work. you've got to do the little things. And Carolina didn't do that to the tune that Kentucky did on Saturday afternoon. And, yes, that's, that's frustrating because you would think that your veteran guys, including two guys that came back to right wrongs, that wouldn't be an issue, especially when one of them is year five. But Armando Baycott had one of those games. And, you know, I, I think the thing is is that it's It's correctable to a certain degree. Part of it is this is going to be Carolina moving forward this year. This is not going to be a team that pummels re- pummels opponents on the glass. like I, I and look, we make fun of how much I emphasize and talk about rebounding. Well, guess what? Key to the game the rest of the year. Every game we talk about, it, it's going to be a key. I got to be honest. There might be games
1: where it's the three keys are just rebounding. And, Nothing else matters. And that
0: that, that 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 very well may may be true. But don't get it twisted. It wasn't from a lack of effort. It's not that Carolina didn't try to rebound the ball. It's not that they didn't try to box out. Their, their starting five has issues. You've got a six-foot guard. You've got a Harrison Ingram guy that's that's playing out of position, but you need them on the offensive end. And that's the trade-off right now. And that's got to be the thing that Huber Davis has to find a way to minimize. And, you know, you don't like in a crucial situation that R.J. Davis gets switched on to the biggest guy on the court and can't get a defensive rebound because yeah. you don't expect him to get the defensive rebound. But that's what happened. But to me... It's okay to be disappointed and frustrated with Armando Baycott. It is because how could you not? You know nine and six is a good stat line in the first half. like th- this 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 is the type of game that Armando Baycott isn't the focal point he's not he's not your go-to guy. This offense will run through R. j. Davis because ultimately. As he has been since he's gotten here, he's the heartbeat of the team. He's this team was going to go as far as he's going to take him. Well, now he's that he's your best player now.
1: I'm sorry. It's time to admit that. Well, it ain't Armando anymore. and
0: I, and I don't think I, I I never thought that he was the best player entering the year. He's the most important. him and Harrison Ingram are the most important factors to what this team. Uh, can yep. be and will be. And neither guy played their best game the other day. And he has to have more of a presence than what he had on Saturday. Mm-hmm. Nine and six just simply isn't good enough, and especially when you factor in six turnovers. And
1: I'm telling you, it's it's it is it's him away from the Smith Center. This dude is a different player at home this season. And I mean, I'd have to go back and look at it. I didn't notice it as much last year the differences between home and neutral site in a way. I I mean, this is just, it is unbelievable the difference in the type of player. I have no idea what is the difference. I don't know if it's not having that home crowd behind him. He starts downing himself. I have no idea. But that was a guy the other day against a young big. That should be where you're you show up where you being a veteran is the difference in that game. You go to work on the young gun and yeah, he may put up a great fight against you, but you find a way to prevail. I mean, you look at the bigs that he has faced so far this year and in the matchups where he has faced really quality bigs, I think he's, I mean, he's 0 for 3. Eric Dixon of Villanova, Clinging of uh, UConn, and now this game against Bradshaw. And I gotta be honest, Bradshaw's not a guy. Those other two guys, we knew there was, there was a reason why they were highly regarded coming in. This is not a dude that should have been schooling you the way that he did. And for him, I mean, yeah, it's not an effort issue. But the thing is, is that that's going to start to come into question if you continue to play this way in these important games, especially the ones away from the Smith Center. I thought the game against Tennessee, he played well in. But again, that's in the Smith Center. This this game for him on Wednesday is huge because this game is not at home. Now, it should basically be a home environment for you, but still, you've got to show me something because right now, I mean, dude, we're this. This looks like sophomore Armando Baycott. Like this. I, I mean, this looks like 2019-2020 Armando Baycott, not the guy that we have seen this year, or or that we have seen at times this year, and that we saw in twenty twenty one, twenty two, or even at times last year. You need him to return to being that type of player or else it's going to be really hard for you to win games because you don't have a guy that can clean the glass like you you need him to become the guy that he was at times in that run to the national championship game nights where he's grabbing 16 18 rebounds in a game and doing that for multiple games in a row like that's the type of guy you need on this team right now Cause he doesn't have the help rebounding
0: wise. No, he doesn't, and it's something that that Carolina roster wise, it's 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 not, it's honestly not fixable. The only the, what you got to fix is, you know, you can maybe do some different things technique wise. Um, I think the other night they had a problem getting their body on people once a ball went up in the air. Um, that's also why I've said that zone defense has got to become something that gets considered because teams that play zone hide a rebounding weakness, and this team has one. Um, it's not to the level to where they can't, they can't. I mean, they can compete on the boards with the best. Like they, they, they competed with with UConn, they competed with Kentucky to a certain degree, but they don't have. But it's not for forty minutes. But they were, they were a better rebounding team than Kentucky was coming into the game. No, they were. So how do you get beat that badly on the glass? Well, I mean, you got to think. Some of it is like these numbers are still figuring themselves out because you played games to start the year that you're getting more rebounds because you're playing against teams that can't shoot the ball. If you look at their numbers, probably since the battle for Atlantis, on you would probably see like that's probably what this team truly is in that department. Um, And it's it's I mean it's frustrating. It's maddening. I've I've watched bad Carolina basketball. (laughs) <laughs> I I've never watched a bad Carolina basketball rebounding team. No. Um, and for this, this for us is bad. And it's something that this coaching staff is gonna be tasked with trying to find something to to, to either hide it or improve on it. Uh make make no mistake, that's the stat of the game. Um, you got out rebounded 42-32. More importantly, offensive glass, eighteen to six. It's just very few and far between. I've seen Carolina get um, tripled on the offensive rebounding, and what did we talk about
1: coming into the game? I mentioned this when we were talking through the keys to the game. You cannot give this team second chance opportunities, and you allowed 18 offensive rebounds and turned the ball over 17 times.
0: Yeah, and I, and I, how are you going to win? And I, I think that's why I'm still encouraged because you lost by four.
1: Oh yeah! Oh, this was you, you. You
0: literally this was the worst game they played all season. You, and you literally lost by handed four. them the ball in the first half ten times, Mm-hmm. and they didn't. And they scored.
1: You read the second chance points. They scored the majority of their sag, uh, or or uh, of their points off of turnovers. Rather, they scored the majority of those early in the game. Yeah, they were scoring on almost every turnover early. Late, Carolina was able to, you know when they would turn the ball over, prevent them from scoring. So yeah, that was a lot of where those second or those turn points off of turnovers were coming from.
0: Um let's get into our takeaways. We're we're gonna start positive. Um I'm running out of things to say about RJ Davis. Without without just simply saying I love this kid and thank God for this kid. I'll reveal it. I
1: got his jersey uh, Recently, because he's at that point where it's like, yeah, this is a dude
0: you want to remember. You're you're, you're look you're looking at a you're talking about a guy that's on an all time hot streak, that's doing things that mm-hmm. haven't been done in fifty sixty years, and in today's game, is really hard to replicate. Um, you know, I I, I think you we, we it continues to show what the problem was last year, and not to take a shot at Caleb Love because he's been fantastic. Out at Arizona for Tommy Lloyd. And is playing really beautiful basketball. Played a great game the other day against Purdue. But these two guys didn't mesh. And, and R.J. Davis has grown into a leader for this team in a way that I don't think we ever thought was possible. Um, and has become everything this team needs to be on the offensive end of the court. With that said, there needs to be an adjustment made by Hubert Davis. Elliot Cadeau needs to play with R.J. Davis. They need to play together. But R.J. Davis needs to be the primary ball handler. And I know why he's not. Because the, R.J. Davis as a player and this coaching staff remembers how the, it went last year. When the ball would get to the other lead guard in the backcourt, mm. the ball would stop. The ball's not going to stop if you give the ball to Elliot Cadeau the ball is going to get moved and it's going to find its way back to RJ Davis but RJ Davis is and look, he's he's a, he's a really good off the ball player he moves really well he runs off of screens well but this is a guy that generates and creates his own offense he can get anywhere on the court any spot on the court and 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 make offense happen and you see that In this game, Mm -hmm. because not really controlling the ball in the first half. I think he had five or six points at halftime. Kind of just a quiet first half from R.J. You need him to step up in the second half. Guess what happens? Four go gets the ball. Four puts the ball in the basket. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't need – it's kind of like the press, which we didn't see a lot of in this game, and rightfully so. I thought it made sense to not press. It can't be something that you do once you're losing. It needs to be from the onset. Carolina's best offensive five is RJ Davis, Elliot Cadeau, Cormac Ryan, Harrison Ingram, and Armando Bacot. But I think we all got tricked into believing the best offensive five was was with Elliot Cadeau running the offense. It's not. He's a reclassified freshman learning how to play basketball in one of the most complex uh one of the more the most complex offenses in the sport. Maybe the guy who's been there for 4 years should run your offense. And I think the thing is that if he does that and all of a sudden he, it's, it's him controlling everything, what are these numbers going to look like? Like he's already doing some pretty special things right now. I, mean, I think he's now leading the ACC in scoring after his latest scoring outburst. Like you're talking about a guy that could put together as potent an individual offensive season we've seen from a point guard in this conference in two decades.
1: Yeah, I mean, look, I get what you're you're saying. Um, One thing that was brought up to me earlier today that did get me thinking a little bit when it comes to that. Now, to me, I thought final possession of the game, put it in his hands, let him bring it across half court, and look, if he gets doubled, get it out of his hands, get it back to him. Um, If not, then he's one-on-one, let him go to work. I do wonder if he brought it across half
0: court, how many times would he get doubled and it would basically force the ball out of his hands? Here's the thing that Cormac was four of six from three. Like, this is the one game where if that ball ends up in Cormac's hand or if he was four of seven, you live with that. Because the yeah. shot the, the shot was there. And also, I don't want to put a reclassified freshman in that position to make that mistake. I get it. Yeah, I get it. I, I,
1: with the final play which I think we've, we have we have to talk about more in depth because it's the most important play that we've seen so far this year. I think, like, I don't understand why he was the primary ball handler on that play. I, like I just said, I thought it should have been RJ. I understand why he was on the court. People asking why he was on the court, what is Seth Trimble bringing in, the, in that circumstance? Seth Trimble is not a guy. Guys, Elliot Cadell, Seth Trimble, no matter who was playing that other guard spot, they were not shooting the ball
0: there. That shot was being taken by R.J. Davis. The problem is— No questions asked. That's that's not the reason why it's getting questioned. The question is, is that he was on the bench from the 9 6 mark on. Because he was in foul trouble. Like, like, you got into the game, and you got yourself in position to win the game with him on the bench. and And look— I get it from an optic standpoint. He's your best passer. So maybe he makes a pass or two that, that nobody else can make, would make, or would even have the vision to make. Well, and here's the thing. If you're Hubert Davis, there is no way
1: possible that you could have imagined that before. Like, the, the question is, and this is not going after Elliott Cadell, but seriously, did he not hear the play in the huddle? What, what happened? Somebody did not understand what was supposed to happen there. Because how How did he toss that ball to Cormac? I, I was talking to my guys earlier this morning for our morning show, and... My guy Bone brought up and said, "Did he think when Cormac raised his arm, basically to set the screen, did he think he was calling for the ball? Like that's the that's the only explanation. It's either that or you didn't hear the play. He's a
0: freshman in college like, basketball that made a mistake. At yeah, the worst oh, but time. I, that's the thing. That's, I understand. That's the explanation.
1: I understand the mistake. Yeah, but at the same time, like
0: that's something where I, I mean, it just yeah. You know how it doesn't happen." He he watches the last nine minutes where he'd watched the pre- the last nine minute the last nine seconds where he lost the where he watched the previous nine minutes. But I mean, who knows? Like people
1: were saying, Seth Trimble doesn't make that mistake, guys. Seth Trimble hasn't played that much more than he has. Remember, he didn't play a lot last year.
0: No, he didn't. But he's been there. He's been in pressure pack situations. He's been in those type of environments. Um, but the, the problem is the ball never went to him in the first place. That's something that A, you want you want to attack Hubert Davis bad coaching decision. That that decision, that's the one. That's on him. Mhm. Um but I am not I'm not sitting here saying I don't want to see Elliott Cadeau start. Don't think he's worthy of being a starter cuz he's a really good offensive player and he brings value to what Carolina's doing on that end of the court. But the ball needs to be in RJ Davis's hands as much as possible, and let him create for himself and understand that when he zips the ball over to Elliot Cadeau, that ball's not stopping. It stopped last year. I get it. He's not a ball stopper. He understands what his role is. He knows what his strength is. He's going he's gonna to swing it and move the ball to the open guy, back to you, et cetera, et cetera. Um, welcome to Carolina basketball, Cormac Ryan. Welcome to Chapel Hill. Um, you take him away from this game, who knows where Carolina would have been because he was great in the first half, scoring 12 points, was 5 of 6 from the field, 2 of 3 from 3. Really had his first, okay, this is why we went and got you type of game. Added four rebounds um, in his 33 minutes. I mentioned the 4 of 7 shooting from 3. Big confidence boost for a guy that was shooting 26% from behind the three-point line. Mm-hmm. Entering the game. And I think we always knew internally that number wasn't going to stay that low. Too good of a shooter. Saturday confirmed it because he took some tough ones. Um, and he took some big ones and he made them. And also, simply put, he shoots too pretty of a ball to miss more often than not. The way he shoots, it's... Um, oh. Here we go. How close to the line can we get here? It's, I mean, it's. It's. it's... It's dang near basketball pornography, the way that he puts the form on it, the way Just that you look right at for the, it. you look at the spin and the rotation on the basketball. There you go. Um, and, and Cam, Cam Johnson-esque, or we're not reaching that the point. The stroke isn't as good, but the way that ball rotates in the air and the way that – and you know it's a good – you shoot a good ball by the way it goes through the net. Um, you can tell that he's a shooter's shooter, and you saw that on display on Saturday. You need more of that from him – Moving forward, I you know you've talked about the injury. I think you know after a ten day layoff, as Definitely. healthy as he's probably been since the injury, and and, and hopefully um, this is something that um, he builds off on because we're going to need him to play a big game on Wednesday night. Now let's let's get to you know some of the the, the negative things really quickly because man, time is flying by. That's what happens when you sit on here and you I guess complain, um, and that's what the people. Want us to do Carolina's bench production It's not as bad as it was a year ago But there's a lineup issue Here And frankly I don't know how you fix it Because Carolina's best Offensive five Mm -hmm. Is not their best defensive five Their best defensive five is Davis, Trimble Ryan, Ingram Baycott And Trimble played 16 minutes um the second most minutes of anybody off the bench. Jalen Withers led the way with nineteen. But no other bench guy played more, played double digit minutes, and Jalen Washington played eight. You got two minutes from Paxson Wojcik, and then you've got uh two minutes from Zayden High. And Zaden High was literally just put in there. Just I I, I I I think just to do something, to draw fouls, just bring some energy to the game. He was literally just a body. <sighs> Mm.
1: That's a that's a big sigh. Oh.
0: I, I trust when Seth Trimble's on the court, he's gonna make winning plays and he's gonna do really good things. He scored six points, three or four from the field, three rebounds the other day. Definitely progressing, yes. Jalen Washington is getting there where, you know, he's got he's got to get stronger. Yeah, absolutely. very John Henson esque where the body is good. Um, and he's gonna be a problem and a difference maker for this team. He's got to get stronger. Mm-hmm. I I was confident that Jalen Withers was going to bring something to this team. And, you know, when he started his one off game in the Bahamas, I thought maybe he's the guy that settles in and becomes a, a starter. At this point, I don't know what value he brings to Carolina. Because I feel like right now he's a liability on both ends. And what's really frustrating is is I, 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 I see the potential. I see why they went and got him. A physical wing that can put the ball on the floor and get to the rim. A guy that shoots a pretty ball despite shooting the ball over the rim in the process. Um, but defensively, man... You know, I, I think that was where they were the highest on him making immediate impact was being a guy that can defend and, and, and really help them do some things. And it just hasn't translated. And I don't know what you do about it. I don't know how you, you, you mix your best offensive five and your best defensive five and make it blend. But that's where Carolina is at the moment. And maybe it's always been this way. I don't know. To me, it doesn't feel this glaring. Whereas, like, it's very obvious when Cadeau's off the court, Carolina's better defensively. Uh-huh. And Brendan Marks told us this back in the preseason. He's like, "Why do? You, what do you do with that small backcourt? Well, it's getting exposed. Rob Dillingham, Wagner, Edwards, sh- pulling up, shooting over the top of those guys. And you know, you can't complain about the way you you restructured the you re, you restructured the roster because you had to go get the guys that you could get." But I think that's something that we we've learned with this team is that um their their fatal their, their 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 fatal flaw might be a lack of size on the perimeter and a lack of physicality inside.
1: Yeah, I mean put simply put, what you basically just said right there is team's not great defensively. They're not.
0: They're they're well, not
1: going to be able to defend at a high level no, in the half court. And, and, it's not going
0: to happen. And and I don't think that was ever the expectation. I, you know, I think there's potential for them to be really, really good when they play mediocre to bad offensive teams. Yes. Like, those are like, when they get to the Boston colleges, when they get to those, you know, those types of programs, yes, you should be able to lock them down in the half court. Not every game should be a race to 85, a race to 90. Um, and no one's asking them to be great in December. It's December 18th. I don't want to be great December 18th. I want to be great March 18th, March 28th, April 4th. That's when I want to be great. But, you know, I think this was something that, um, frankly, I didn't think it was going to be this bad. I knew there was potential for Carolina to be bad defensively. Mm -hmm. This isn't a program that's built on playing great defense. But I did not see it being this glaring where I'm at the point where you almost at every four-minute mark – Cadeau in, Trimble out, Trimble out, Cadot in mm-hmm. because you need to have some sort of defensive presence on the perimeter.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, there's no doubt that you gotta you gotta play Trimble a pretty good amount here. Um and he's starting to evolve enough offensively where you can have him on the floor. What you'll lose is the ball distribution that you're getting from Elliott Cadeau, which is elite, especially for someone that is his age. But I think, you know, you're getting enough from Seth Trimble now where you're going to have to play him a lot on the floor because you need somebody that can lock down on the defensive end of the floor. Jalen Withers, we've seen at times where he has done some really good things defensively. He had some good defensive possessions, especially early in the game the other day, especially protecting the rim. But the problem is, is that when Carolina needed stops late, there were times where he was getting exposed. And yeah, they they hit shots over him just like they did some of the other guys. But that's supposed to be the area of the floor where he can lock guys down. Um this team right now really, I mean, you've got you you have got Trimble, and that's really about it for great defenders. The rest of the group, I mean, you've got some guys that are solid, but they're are not a lot of guys that can handle physicality, that can consistently stay in front of guys. And the other thing that has to get figured out here is something that Carolina does schematically. And we heard, you know, that Huber Davis has been working on some things. They implemented a whole new defensive scheme in the 10-day off period. This team's got to stop switching everything yeah they 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 cannot keep doing that because the you saw it when they did it yeah in that game on Saturday R.J Davis gets switched on to Bradshaw, Bradshaw easy offensive rebound and puts it back up and in I mean a, a a massive play in the game and for some reason, they thought the smart thing to do was to switch the smallest player on your team. Aren't onto the biggest player on their team. Well, I mean, I think the it thing, just can't happen.
0: Like you can switch everything if you've got a bigger lineup on the court. Like if you've got Davis, Ryan, Trimble, Ingram, Baycott, you could probably switch everything one through four. But you
1: can't. Like this but, but is it, something the player, and it's not all schematics. It's decisions that are made by players too. But in that case, how does Armando Baycott and R.J. Davis? I don't know who it was. How do you think, in that moment, m- switching those two guys and who they're guarding makes sense it it, it it's it's well, I mean, unbelievable.
0: I mean, when you're switching everything like they are, it's it's a principle. like that's what they're being taught to do. that's what they're being told to do. So that's something that's being instilled from the top because Caroline didn't switch like this last year. It's will like this the, the the first year under Hubert Davis, and this is them. I think this is Hubert and, and and this coaching staff
1: desperately trying to find something that works. And I don't. That is not it. I'm sorry. They this team they've got some really athletic guys. They got some dudes that match up more on the offensive end, but overall in terms of body style and athleticism that match up well with a lot of different positions on the court. But it's just you saw it the other day. It does not work. That's not the solution in the half court.
0: No, it's not. And you know i I've told you what I think the answer is. I think it's zone. Um, well, and it's, it's either that or full court press
1: for forty minutes. And so. and they're not <laughs>
0: they're they're not deep enough to play that style No. Um, and, and I don't want to run out of gas in February trying to get to March. Yep. So um, the last thing, and I know we're we're running long here. Um, but this had this has to be discussed um and I know this is gonna sound really rich coming from me um we're talking like Warren Buffett rich oh we're talking Jeff Bezos rich like does Bezos have more money than, than i I mean the guy oh, okay I don't know the guy's gonna have an outer space museum hotel True. yes like, he probably does he's getting there at least what uh, do you got though um the the Hubert Davis slander has has got to stop. And again, this is coming from a guy that fired him on this very podcast in January of two thousand and twenty-two. Yeah, you did. Yep, fired him. That checks out. Um, first off, the act is is old. It's 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 tiring. <laughs> it's it's exhausting. You did it with a three time national champion head coach and won over nine hundred games, went to nine Final Fours and was a Naismith basketball hall of famer you know, very shortly into his time at at, at Carolina. Oddly enough, around the same time a year, just about every year too, this same time. Hmm. hmm. But I don't and, and look, there's there's shortcomings with Huber Davis. There are things he does that I don't like. He's in his third year. He's still learning on the job. He's five and four against top ten opponents as the head coach of North Carolina. He's got a winning record in those types of settings. So this narrative that he can't win big games is it's it's factually incorrect mm-hmm. um, because he he won a big game against Tennessee just two weeks ago. Uh, did he? Did he? Remind me again: Did he beat the, his
1: rival, the biggest rival in the final four, the biggest stage that rivalry has ever been
0: played? And, and so I just, I, I just don't get thoughts out. And, so. and th- this is this is the, the the crux of the conversation. A lot of you Carolina fans, you need to look yourself in the mirror because you're not you're not fans of the program. Mm. You're not fans of the interlocking Carolina Blue NC. Mm. You're a fan of the winning because you were probably raised that Carolina's going to win 30 games. They're going to finish top three in the ACC. They're going to make the second week of the tournament at, at at least every year. And for the most part, you'd be correct because you were raised in that mindset. I was raised in that mindset, but winning is not a birthright. It 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 doesn't it doesn't happen to. It doesn't mean you're going to win at that level year after year after year after year. Look at Kentucky in the mid-2000s, afterthought program. Look at Indiana since 2001, afterthought program. This, this is part of it. This is part of it when you play the schedule that Carolina plays with a young head coach that's going to challenge his team and is going to challenge his program. He's going to challenge himself. and And these people that don't think that he cares – do you not see the way that man is distraught after Carolina loses? It eats at him the same way that I eat a double cheeseburger from McDonald's. Oh, I hope not. That's um, messy. And, and, and I just, I, I, I just don't, I don't understand. I don't understand why all of a sudden we think we're too good to be seven and three in December and complaining because I don't want to hear his praises if they beat number seven Oklahoma on Wednesday night. No keep your same energy. I'm allowed to walk back what I said because I wrote an apology letter and I own the fact that I was a coward, that I was an idiot, yep. that I was a fraud yep. and I wrongfully fired a dude that coached 17 games of college basketball, yep, mm-hmm. yep, and, and and I'm just I'm just so sick of it because no one has any reasons, no one has any explanation. You just want to fire somebody. Who are you gonna hire? I wanted West Miller to be our head coach. I'll own that. It's not like he's you know knocking down and, and, and winning championships at at Cincinnati. That sounds like me a couple of years ago so, when I was making this argument. I ah. just I just don't I just don't understand. If you want to be on the fence, that's fine. We all got to be won over to a certain degree. But this guy is the perfect blend, the perfect image, mm-hmm. the perfect representation for what our program is, has been, and will be. This is a man that played for Coach Smith, that wears a blazer with his DES, uh, you know, whatever they call the things they put on blazers. In his memory, pin, pin. yeah, a pin every every time he coaches. This is a man that spent nine years learning from Roy Williams, a guy that you know all he did was win three national championships and over four hundred games nah, in his time at North Carolina. Not good enough for some. So the perfect blend of the two best coaches in the history of our program. That's the guy we got leading. And you and you think you think that you know more than that man, or that you care more than that man. I'm going to go ahead and tell you a little secret. No, you don't. It absolutely kills him to lose. It absolutely kills him that they didn't win the other day. And at some point, man, we got to be better as fans. As a collective fan base, we have to get better. Because if that game would have been on Hubert Davis, I would have been more than comfortable coming on here and blaming him. Mhm. Because when there were games that I thought Carolina lost because of Roy Williams I would come on here and blame Roy Williams and say Coaching lost us that game as much as execution That didn't happen last night Hasn't happened all year Didn't happen in the UConn game You want to tell me the, the Villanova game? A lack of adjustment on Dixon? You You want to sell me on that? You know what? I'd probably buy into that. And guess what? If that game is called
1: the way that it should have been by the referees, they win the game.
0: So, so I I just Yeah. Guys, we we're we're the University of North Carolina. We are the the best program in the sport. We're the proudest Damn straight. program in the sport. Yep. We're the most accomplished program in the sport. Checks out. Let's cheer that way. There you go. Let's act that way, uh-huh. and not not fire people when they lose a game in December. That if you play again in March, when in college basketball, that's when the game matters the most. I'm I'm I'd be pretty confident Carolina makes the plays that they got to make to win that game. So, um, with that, know we said a lot, yelled a lot, um, thought a lot. That's going to wrap up this edition of the podcast. Before we let you go, by the way,
1: I have to shout out. There is a guy went and got our sandwiches today. So we we went and got lunch today. We usually do. Went to Jersey Mike's, got our subs. The guy when I go to order my subs says, "Hey, you sound familiar. Have I heard you before?" And I said, "Yeah, I work for WFNZ in Charlotte." And he said, "No, that's not where I've heard you from." He said, you're wearing a Toriel shirt. He's like, do you – did you go to school there, or do you guys do like a podcast about them or something? I said, yeah, yeah, we do a football and basketball podcast. And he said, man – he said, I I told him Four Corners podcast, Heel Tough blog podcast. He said, dude, I listen to y'all's podcast all the time. So he said he wants to go by Jersey Mike. I believe he followed me on social media uh, so, uh, if you're listening to this, uh, my guy that works at Jersey Mike's that listens to us really appreciate you, uh, listening to our show, everything like that. Uh, you sliced a mean, uh, two mean sandwiches today, uh, but we appreciate that. And that's always real cool guys. If, if you see us out, if you if recognize the voices, you recognize the faces from following us on social media, whatever, please, please. Interact with us. Let us know that you're a listener. We love hearing that. We want to have conversations with you. That was just a really cool moment that I had to share for earlier today.
0: Appreciate that, Jersey Mike. That's really awesome. Can't wait to get 50% off at our order from there moving forward. Stop that. Stop that. Um, But that is going to wrap up this edition of the podcast. Guys, before we let you go, we do encourage you to visit the website HeeltuffBlog.com, article up about the life and legacy of Eric Montross, um, recap of the Kentucky game. We'll be getting you ready for Oklahoma uh, later in the week as well. A lot of football recruiting news coming out. Carolina added another transfer portal commit. You can find out who that is and the impact that he will have. And also Carolina's bowl prep is underway. We'll be getting you ready for the Duke's Mayo Bowl. All that coverage and more, heeltoughblog.com As for the podcast, guys, you know where to find us. Every major podcasting platform. Just simply search the Four Corners Podcast and we will pop up. There we do encourage you guys to rate, review, and subscribe. That way you don't miss any editions of the show throughout the basketball season. Well, with that, guys, this is going to wrap up this edition of the show. I want to thank you guys for listening, especially uh, Jersey Mike. I want to thank Anthony for hosting with me. And as always, go Tar Heels. Guys, it just doesn't get any sweeter than that.